You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, good morning. You know, next week I'm going to share the the vision talk. I try and do a talk like it each year just to give us an update on what we believe the Lord is calling us to for the coming year. Honestly, I really want to encourage you, if, if you can, don't miss next week. Um, Steph and I feel very excited uh, to share with you the the next step of faith we believe the Lord is calling us to take as a, as a church. We believe this is a major moment in the life of the church, and we'd love you to be part of it and to share in that firsthand. I don't want to overcook it and make that sound much bigger than it is, but um, it's, it is a faith vision. We're going to step out in faith again. And, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a, you know when a rocket is, is in flight and then the, the booster comes off and you go into the next stage? It feels like that. And it feels this is a significant moment. So we'd encourage you to be here if you can. Um, we're currently, though, in the middle of a series that I've, I've called Keep On. I want to encourage you to keep on. If you've missed any of those talks, um, we speak in series. So you may find one leads to the other. It'd help you potentially to catch up online. But we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is uh, as a city, one of the leading cities in the Roman Empire, very much like you could say Manchester. And um, Paul is interested in freeing people from the power of cities that they live in. And so much of the, the book of Ephesians is about power. He wants the people of Ephesus to have the power to overcome the strongholds and the, the, the powers of the city. God's heart is for us to have power to overcome the context in which we live and to live faithfully, obediently and extravagantly for him. He cares about the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not just content for it to be information for us. He wants it to be transformation. He wants to see lives change. We need to see a breaking in of the kingdom of God in this city. We desperately cry out for that. Don't, don't you believe that? We want to believe for a move of the kingdom of God in this city. You know, I was... Um, couple of weeks ago now I was I was ill and um, I was in bed not even able to hobble out of bed and you you've probably had it yourself the problem in those times is you feel so ill that you don't think you're ever going to be well again and you just kind of feel really sorry for yourself even though it only lasts like 24 hours but um, anyway I spent the whole day drifting in and out of sleep so by the time it came to the night time I was wide awake and um, I couldn't sleep. So obviously I'd done all the usual stuff like read significant portions of my Bible. But then I started to watch some movies. And um, I watched the first part of the story of when Manchester City won the Premier League last season. Now, I'm not a Man City fan at all, but I watched the first episode. It's about 50 minutes long. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called All or Nothing. And um, anyway, after the first series, I watched the second one. And uh, I ended up watching all eight in a row. And um, it's about six and a half hours, something like that. Um, one thing stood out to me, and I have not been able to shake it off since. This, this one lady, about four hours in, if you're going to watch it, you don't need to watch the whole thing. But she said, Man City, this is my club, this is my church. And um, that's what she said, this is, this is my club, this is my church. Not 100% what she's trying to say in saying that, but is she saying the place, the people, the community, the 
engagement, the activity, whatever it is, it's become her church and it's become her place of worship. And I, I was walking just this last week through the Trafford Centre. Let's not even talk about the Trafford Centre. We could get lost there for a while. It's like I've been teleported into this parallel universe and it's a bit odd. But anyway, this, this lady, she's on her phone and she's on FaceTime walking along, which is like, who knew that kind of thing would happen? in society. It's just a bizarre thing. She's got no headphones in and she's shouting to be heard. It's like six in the evening. And um, I heard her say, say this over whoever she's talking to. She's like, look, if you want the job, you can have the job, but I'm asking you for your life. You're going to earn a lot of money, but I'm asking you for your life. You either want the job or you don't want the job. And I'm like, gosh, that is intense. Um, this job, whatever it was, She's demanding her life. As, as I kept walking, I'm looking around that place and I don't know what to say, like the, the shopping experience, the consumerism, the, the commitment as society that we have to image and a need for, for things. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't shop there. I'm shopping there. But just that if, if we don't worship the creator, we worship the created. And, you know, this lady who's saying Man City is her church, this person on the phone who's demanding somebody's job is, is their life, this whole experience of walking around that Trafford Centre that evening just stirred something in me. If, if we don't worship the creator, we worship the created. And we're going to reflect today a bit on Ephesians 4. And the question that I hear been asked as I've re read this chapter is, is Jesus enough? If, if you forget everything else today, is, is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? Does there need to be something else? Does there need to be someone else that supplies your needs, your happiness, your meets your demands or some of the desires that that you need meeting a standard that maybe others can't live up to and need to be belong or to find some kind of fulfillment what it, whatever it is are we so caught in culture that we worship the created rather than worshiping the creator and honestly jesus is enough Jesus is enough, but there are so many distractions to him, pulling our time and our energy and our resources. And today, I, I just want to beg you, honestly, I want to beg you to consider that Jesus is enough. Can I beg you to do that? That's kind of how this passage starts. Let me, let me just read it. Ephesians 4 says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Honestly, I want to beg you this morning to live a life worthy of Jesus, because he's called you. He has called you. He has chosen you. And I, I'm i not sure how to do that. Like I could get on my knees, but I honestly, I, I want to beg you to do that. I want to beg you to put yourself in situations and around people and places that are going to change your life. I remember, I, I felt I was just going to go slightly different this morning, but I was just reminded when Stephen Roof up this morning that when I was, I don't know, 19, I was in the fire service and 
I knew Jesus and I was trying to live passionately for him. And somehow I ended up going out to Albania and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What do I have to offer? I'm not one of those Christians like other people seem to be. What, what have I got? And when I was out there, I saw the state of the, the fire station out there, if we can even call it that. They turned up to fires in taxis with just a pair of gloves and I don't know what they were going to do. But God put a seed in my heart. The only thing you can do to help these guys is take some fire engines. So the next time we went out, we took a couple of boxes of stuff. The next time we went out, we took a couple of fire engines. It, it was remarkable how God made that happen and saw some of the miracles in that moment that would have helped those guys. But honestly, it changed my life. It changed my workplace, as I said to my colleagues. This is the God I believe in, that he cares for the poor, and this is what I want to do about it. And as you're around other people and as you're in environments of discipleship and around the people of the church, you get drawn in like a vortex to the things of the kingdom of God. And that's how we're discipled. And I want to beg you this morning, to live a life worthy of the calling that God has for you on your life. Don't live my story. Don't live somebody else's story. But live out everything you have with everything within you. The purposes of God in your life, in your generation. He says, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Gosh, we could just stop there. If we just live a life worth, worthy of our calling and we have allowance for each of us faults, we're doing pretty well. But make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led the crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is also the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the universe everywhere with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love, I love that. He says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its special work. I've, just reflect on that in the context of the song we sang this morning. We, we take, he takes the little that we have that we give and he fills it with his power for his glory. He, he makes this work. In no other context could I think of gathering a group of people like this and it working. 
he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its special work. We have to do our part. It goes on, verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupt and lustful and full of deception. Instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You know, I know, I know that's long. And in a way, I've whizzed over it, but there is power in the name of Jesus and there's power in his word. And I I pray in many ways, actually, some of that speaks to you just by reading it over you, that that would resonate in our hearts. And I'd encourage you to to, to dwell in it more. It is such a rich passage. This book is such a, a treat. But I really just want to beg you to live a life worthy of your calling because you have been chosen do you does that resonate he chose you much of the tactics of the enemy is just to cause you to be distracted to focus on the wrong things like the lady who said um you know man city is my church paul saying i beg you i beg you to realize there's more to life than that god is well i beg you not to sit on the sidelines of your faith because God has chosen us to be Christ's representatives on earth and in light of that truth Paul challenges us to live lives worthy of the calling we've received of the awesome unbelievable privilege of being called Jesus's very own and within that that includes being humble gentle patient understanding and peaceful how how well are we being representatives of Jesus. I just want to draw a few things out of this passage this morning in relation to to what I think it is saying in terms of living lives worthy of the calling, in terms of realizing Jesus is enough. So the, the first encouragement really is to live in unity. We are called to live in unity. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. We are united in the Spirit of God. We bind ourselves together. I said in previous weeks, 
we want to keep on keeping on, but also we want to keep on getting on. You know, one of the primary ways that the enemy attacks us is for a breakdown in relationships with each other. And we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be on guard for that. Verse 13, continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. As we continue to grow in unity, we mature. Part of our maturity is found in our growing unity. Are we living a life worthy of our calling? How many times have you heard a parent say to a child, I can't believe you're behaving like that after whatever it might be, all of these treats that I've given you or everything that you've had today. We, we can't act like children. There's a calling and there's a urge here to grow up, to mature in our faith. Now, if we're honest, how many of us actually, we struggle with this or we have a bit of a problem with this? I'd, I'd say nearly all of us. God tries to give us some gifts. He says, now these are the gifts I give to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. Here's the gifts. Now play nicely and share the toys is really what he says. But how quickly do we fall over each other? I want to be in the band. I want to lead it. I want to be in that small group. I don't want to be in that small group. I want better refreshments than that. I just want them to be kind to me. Did you hear what they said to me this morning? Actually, I, I wanted to sit there, but for some reason you think you sit there, but I wanted to sit there. I can't believe it's okay that they just said that to me. They need to turn that up. They need to turn that down. You know, I've, I've picked a few really trivial, random things. If I've upset one of you by saying I, didn't, I thought they were trivial, but as far as I know, I made them up. But honestly, how quickly we can be robbed of our unity. Apply that a bit wider. Think of the scenario that impacts you and speaks to you. What robs you of your unity? Paul gives us a bit of advice. He says, guys, listen. Live a life worthy of your calling. And here's how. Here's some of the things that are going to help you. The letter contains Paul's plea to live out the grace and the unity that the believers had received through Jesus. Verses 1 to 6, they're about unity. Verses 7 to 16 are really about diversity in the church. The challenges that churches face today really parallel the challenges that the first century churches like Ephesus were, were facing. We must remain united as followers of Jesus, incorporating diversity among us so that all glory goes to God. Paul continues to write in this, urging the Ephesians to live a life worthy of their calling, is to remember that you're called by God. Does, does that resonate with you? Or do you often think of that? God has called you. Yeah, he's called somebody else, but he's called you. The, the call to salvation is a call to freedom of sins to accomplish through Jesus' humble act of dying on the cross that freedom, but it's also a call to service. He calls us to battle. He calls us to arms. Remembering Jesus' sacrifice should cause us 
to live for his glory in every area of our lives. And he says, here's a few things that are going to help you in your faith and to keep on getting on. Jesus exalted the humility as a virtue. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's who I am. He says this in John. He says, now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done to us, to you, sorry. Jesus expected his followers to be humble, not only before God, but also among one another, serving one another, put, not putting themselves above anyone else. And Jesus is the example of that to us. And he says, hey, live with humility. As this passage says, if you want to live a life worthy of your calling, live out humility. We're also called to be gentle. Humility is an attitude, but gentleness is an action that results from that. Gentle people do not attempt to grab something, positions of importance or assert authority or power over others. Gentle people accept God's dealings with them without arguing, without resisting. Gentle people are considerate of others. If all of us were people that exhibited the characteristics of humility and gentleness, I'd say any conflicts that could appear would very quickly disappear because we'd be living in his strength and power, enabling us to be one. He goes on, he says, be, be patient. We've got to have patience for each other. Do you know, another way that patience can be translated is long-suffering. That really is a, is a wonderful picture. It's not like, hey, just get along, just tolerate somebody just for a morning. Hang out with them because you have to, maybe for an hour, put on a brave face. That would be all right. This is long-suffering. It's a patience that goes beyond the natural. It's really a quality of being able to hand what, handle one another's faults and failures and challenges and refusing to seek revenge for wrongs, refusing to harbour bitterness or discontent. No, no one ever is going to be perfect here on earth. So we should be people that are patient with one another despite what we might perceive as a fault. Somebody else needs grace because of me. I often see it that way. I might need grace for somebody else, but somebody else needs grace because of me. We bear with one another in love. Is That's the action. That is the lived outside of, of patience. Very... Similar to patience is bearing with one another. Empathizes that willingness to forgive. It involves um, empathizing with another person. To show patience really requires love. We've got to be people that allow the Spirit of God to birth in us love. There ought to be a guiding principle for our actions, even when natural differences or clashes occur. We bear with one another. As we're called to bear with one another, wouldn't you say that that kind of assumes that at times we're going to clash? He's encouraging us to seek out, to live out, to strive for unity. We've got to be willing to carry the load of others, the burden of others, without expecting reward, thanks, or return. Paul is reminding us that now we belong to Jesus. 
we live differently. We're called to live differently. He has chosen us and therefore our lives are different. Now, to live that out is something else. That is a high bar, but it's Christ-likeness. It's been shaped by the Spirit into that lifestyle that grows us and causes us to grow into maturity to which God has called us. Now, in light of that truth, we are people who start to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received, the privilege of being selected by Jesus to be his very own. And that humility, gentleness, patience and understanding and peace is part of it, is part of that stepping out in that. I'd say people are watching our lives. People see how we act and respond. Do they see Jesus in you? Do they see us as his representatives? True unity among us flows naturally from some of those characteristics as we allow the Spirit of God to to birth them in us. Such unity really is only possible when the Spirit of God dwells and inhabits us because it's the Spirit that originates and sustains oneness among us. Love for each other really is only possible as a result of the Spirit of God making it possible. The bond of peace includes the idea of uniting us together as one body. It's the bond that holds us together. Now, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, gosh, how do you how do we fully grasp that? And um, most of you are going to look at me like I'm slightly mad, but have you ever played with stickle bricks? We I'm dividing you as a generation here slightly. Um, that's wasted on many of you that are like the Xbox kind of PlayStation generation. But when I was younger, my grandma and granddad just had masses of stickle bricks. And um, it's like Lego. Actually, it's nothing like Lego. But it's, it's basically these plastic blocks that have got spikes all around the edges of every block. And uh, you stick them together. It's like... It was fun back then. I think people now be like, that's not fun anymore. But um, I told you you'd look at me like I'm barking mad. But I, I thought, how do I explain what a stickle brick is to people that have never seen a stickle brick? So I looked it up. And uh, apparently it is a colourful plastic shape, a few centimetres long, that has a brush of small plastic fingers on one or more of the surfaces. The fingers of adjacent stickle bricks can interlock, allowing them to be joined together in various ways. Standard sets of stickle bricks contain triangular, square and rectangular pieces. Many of the sets also include other pieces such as heads, wheels and teddy bear shapes. Does that help? I think my explanation was better personally. But Anyway, I kept reading and it says stickle bricks are the poor man's Lego. Jokers. I don't, I don't believe that. It will come back one day, these retro toys. Anyway... I loved it when I was five, okay? I don't actually have any more. But we used to build these massive towers. We'd go around some of the charity shops trying to get more so that you could build a bigger tower. Those, The little fingers on the edge of every block are what held it together. And it really didn't matter what shape you took or used. You could somehow construct it in a way that allowed you to get the tower to the ceiling. Then you'd have to move it into the hallway to try and get more height so you could go up the stairs. Uh, that's the kind of thing I do when I'm five, just to give you an insight into my life. But as, as I was really thinking about this, for me, maybe not for you, that is a picture of what the Spirit does. It's those little 
fingers, as the proper definition explains it, that holds it together. It holds the blocks together. It holds us together. We naturally don't easily always join together. We bash into each other. We find ways to collide into each other in ways that naturally this wouldn't work. But the Spirit of God, if we allow him, broods and births something among us that interconnects us. And we make every effort. The passage says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Do you know that really hit me this week? Make every effort. Here's, here's the question. How much of an effort do we make? Because he says, make every effort. Do, do we find things that frustrate us about each other? Or do we make every effort to be united? It's, it's only in the church that I've been in environments where I've been on a team with somebody who's just got out of prison, somebody who's a police officer and somebody who's a judge. Like... Where else would you see an environment like that? It's, it's kind of amazing. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I'm not sure if you've clocked it, but virtually the whole way through the book of Ephesians, as Paul is writing to the church, which we could say is an equivalent to a city like Manchester, the whole way through he keeps pressing this theme of unity, 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 unity. Why? Because one of the key strategies of the enemy is to attack unity. So what do we need to reflect on, seek out, and long for is unity. You don't focus then on what you don't have and you don't fall over each other. You keep your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is enough. You don't try and do or be what somebody else is doing and being or somebody else is called to be. You live out what God has called you to be and do what he's put in front of you. Okay, first thing, unity. Second thing is authority. This probably isn't the natural obvious thing that jumps out from some of this passage, but from unity, I think, flows authority. Authority basically comes from realizing that the life of following Jesus in our lives of following Jesus, we are limited. We are so limited, but he is unlimited. When we realize that, authority comes on us. When you realize it's not you, it's him. He can work so much more powerfully through you. This flows on from all we looked at, the week we looked at where his power is displayed in weakness so that we can be strong because of him, not because of us. And we should seek to acknowledge that we are weak and broken so that his glory and power might be displayed through us. It's much of what we were singing about this morning, but it is so countercultural. Don't you find that? Because the world is telling us that we need to be the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, the bravest, to have the best image, to have the most money, the most security, to get ahead, to be the front runner, to crush everybody else in the process, whereas the kingdom of God says the absolute complete reverse, the first shall be last. It's not his, sorry, it is his authority, it's not our authority. It's not me being great, it's him being great 
through us. He moves more powerfully when we realize that and acknowledge that. Verse, verse, verse 17 says, Paul says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. With the, not his authority, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Here's a few things when we live in the Lord's authority we should no longer be. He says their minds were full of darkness. They wandered away far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Basically, a load of that is a repeat of chapter 2. Now that you know your identity is in Jesus, you no longer need to be trapped and bound by sin. Start to live fully alive. That's kind of where we're going with that. But it says, verse 21, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit of God renew your thoughts and attitude, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Since you've learned about Jesus, what we've got to learn is Jesus is enough. Here's, here's another reminder of it, since you've learned about Jesus. Let's learn about Jesus, because then we'll realize he's enough. If you've got stuff that is holding you back from living out the fullness of the calling that he places on your life, which is really just to live for him and give everything to him, if there is stuff like anxieties or patterns of living or behavior or pain or unresolved hurt or conflict or financial burden whatever it is and whatever you would say that is in this moment Jesus is enough now the culture the world our environments around us often teach us he's not enough but Jesus is enough since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him it's Jesus we need and Jesus we need to press into Paul tells the Ephesians leave behold leave behind sorry the old sinful life since you're now living for Christ you're now living for Jesus living the Christian life is a process although the new we've got this new nature we don't automatically see ourselves fully living it out all of the good thoughts that we express all of the the right attitudes that we want to have it's a process of pressing into Jesus to, f to see that fully birthed and lived out but if we keep listening to God, if we keep seeking out a life worthy of the calling that he has for us, we change all the time. So as you look at back over the last year, do you see in your life a process of change of your attitudes, your behaviours, your thoughts, your actions? Now that change might be slow, but as we look to God, he changes us. As we trust God, he changes us because there's power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. And when we start to realize it's not us, it's him, that authority starts to flow. And we start to live a life worthy of the calling that God has for us when we live in that authority. We walk into rooms as a result and the temperature changes. The environment changes. The dynamic changes. When you're in the workplace in a conversation, wherever it might be, the temperature changes. But often we don't normally, I would say, live like that because we see ourselves as the underdog. 
we have a light that we can put on a stand, but we hide it under a bowl because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to cause a stir. I think that happens even more so in cities because we can feel the the pressure of the environment or the tide of the free thinking and flowing move of the culture of the day. And that becomes the dominant voice, but it doesn't need to be when we understand the authority we have since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Since you have heard, you've heard. So now live in the authority. We need to live empowered, emboldened lives. Have you found that that has become dis diminished or eroded, I want to beg you, now that you've heard, to live a life worthy of the calling and realize the authority that is on your life. Because verse 24 says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on the new nature. Don't, you don't need to live as you were. Put on this new thing that God is birthing in you through his spirit. Unity, authority, the final one, identity, and this is a much quicker one. But this is a big one in today's culture. Do you, do you know who you are because of who Jesus tells you you are? Or do you know who you are because of how somebody else or something else has told you how you are? Approval comes from the Father. That's where we want it from. As, as, as the father sees the son in me, not from the work I do. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to work hard to please the Lord. I want to give him everything I've got, literally my everything, my time, my money, money, my energy, my resources, my passions, the lot. But my approval doesn't come from what I do. My approval comes because the father sees the son in me and it pleases him. It pleases him to see his son living in me and therefore it pleases him when he sees me because he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus living in me. Now we could go off on a tangent and explain this with a few boxes and things which I'll spare you from because you can watch it in the second talk in the series but the whole book is rowing in the same direction. You are a representative of Christ. Jesus. Your identity comes from Jesus. Now, I never realized this until recently, but the Queen doesn't have a passport. And this is the kind of thing I spend my time thinking about. So I didn't realize it because I hadn't thought about it, but now I have thought about it. I know. She's visited more countries than any other royal. It's estimated over 116 countries. Never once has she had to pull out a passport or a travel document. I never realized that until this week. Many of you are like, yeah, obviously. Um, but even though other royals do, even her husband does, so they probably still have to queue a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. Let's not even talk about him. Um, but there's, long story. The first page of every British passport reads this. Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. Now that's quite a statement. But the passport carries authority because of who it represents. And who represents it 
my identity comes from who I represent. The identity I have is of my family likeness, is of my father and what he says about me and who he says I am. Now that's going to change the way I live if I realise that and that's going to lead to me living in authority. Verse 30, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember. See, I'm going to live differently. I'm not going to grieve his spirit anymore because I'm going to remember he has identified you as his own. He identifies you. He chose you. Therefore, live a life worthy of your calling. Paul reminded us that the Holy Spirit within them is both a privilege and a responsibility. The responsibility is not to disappoint, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But the privilege is being identified as his own and the promised future that lies ahead of us and how we can live that out now. The foundation of that living comes from knowing your identity and your security in Jesus, that Jesus is enough. It's not your upbringing, it's not your family, it's not your relational instability, it's not a pressure or an experience that you faced that can rob you of that truth. He identified you as his own. Now those of you that would say, ah yeah, but honestly not with me. You know, if only you knew how bad I was or the past or the history I have and some of the stuff I'm living in. He wouldn't identify me as his own. Romans 5 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us whilst we were still sinners. He chose you whilst you were still in the place that you were, not in the place that you could be or are. Whilst we were still sinners. Isn't that amazing? God sent Jesus to die for us, not because we're good enough, but because he loved us enough. Whenever you feel uncertain about God's love for you, remember that he loved you even before you turned for him. Most of us don't think we can live a life worthy because we don't feel worthy. Because we don't realise our identity is actually his identity. When God looks at us, all he really sees is Jesus. Now, let me just end by saying this. I, I want to ask you to choose to live a life worthy of the calling because he's called you choose in to all god has for you don't sit on the edge of that choose in you know in september we launched um four one which is a version of like a discipleship year but it was based on ephesians four one based on this very verse like live a life worthy of the calling and you don't have to do for one to live a life worthy of the calling i'm not trying to make this an exclusive thing or Next week, I'll share a much bigger picture of how I believe we all get to do this and live out our faith passionately, collectively. But I just wanted to share one story. Because discipleship comes through relationship. And one of those that is doing full one this week said this, to live a life worthy of your calling. When I first heard this phrase, felt like a bit of a Christian cliche, yet something in my soul was longing for it. I'm in my, and they give their age, I don't really want to identify them, but they said, surely I'd know my calling by now, but the truth, but in truth, I felt like I'd missed some of it with not having the career I wanted. Doing full one this year doesn't make sense. Life was full. They list off various things that would 
I mean, they have quite a busy life, but again, I don't want to identify them. And they said, yeah, I felt an urgency and a pull from the Holy Spirit. Fast forward a couple of months, well, one has proved to accelerate a healing journey. God has started a few years ago. I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life. And many times I simply don't know the reason except the pain I felt in my heart. Sometimes the pain would manifest as a physical pain in my chest. I feel like God is pulling out the bad seeds that were all that we all pick up in life at times of no fault of our own. The roots of the bad seeds are so deep ingrained from childhood, which blurred my identity and prevented the good seeds from growing abundantly. When I think about that, no wonder it would take so long to be uprooted. For one, help me to be integrated into the community who would keep prophesying and keep pointing me back to Jesus. They are gracious to accept where I am believing in the gold God has put in me. I'm beginning to think that identity and purpose is not so much a destination, but a lifelong journey with God to become more childlike as we mature. And if I'm in him, then I won't miss it. Isn't that powerful? I'm beginning to think that identity and purpose is not so much a destination, but a lifelong journey with God to become more Christ-like as we mature. And if I'm in him, I won't miss it. That's almost a paraphrase of the passage we've read today. Can I beg you? I want, honestly, I want to beg you to live a life worthy of the calling because he has called you. Should we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.